hi, and welcome to episode 44 of your favourite podcast, The Film File. The film show for film geeks by film geeks. It's great having a theme, isn't it? Because as soon as it comes on, now, whenever I'm, I'm listening back to the show at some later point, I'm going, I really like our theme. It's, yeah, it's, it's got a punch to it. It's got a nice kick. It has. Hi, I'm Lee Ford, and as ever, I couldn't do this podcast alone. I'm here with... Andy Beacon. How have we been, Andy? We are now into our first official week of this so-called lockdown. And we were just discussing before we, we started recording that, um, A, it's been a strange old week. And this time, it, it doesn't feel like it did last time. No, it's uh, it, it, the world out there is... It doesn't feel any different. Maybe it's because like we're we're not city centre. We're out in the like outskirts, and so people are still going about the usual routine. I don't know what the city centre's like at the moment, but last time around, yeah, I said before that I went for daily walks, and I'd be lucky if I saw two people during my whole walk. Now I go for my walk, and you know, there's traffic everywhere. There's people milling around. It doesn't feel like we're in a lockdown. Uh, absolutely not. No, I totally agree. I. I started doing some teaching, been teaching uh, film studies, um, thoroughly enjoying it. And I thought the, the first time I went down to the college I'm at, well, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a drive hitting a bit of traffic. But after after Thursday, it will go. Strangely enough, I'm hitting the same amount of traffic. Now, I don't know whether that's because here in the UK, the schools are still open, which is a good thing. Uh, yeah. But all the businesses have shut down like they did before. But it, it doesn't feel any different, this lockdown, from being in tier three, except uh, you can't go to a restaurant or go to the cinema. We said, we said off air as well that this is a strange reversal of roles for me and you. Yes. <laughs> for the past couple of months, I've been the one who's working while you've been you know, sat like finding things to do to try to keep yourself focused. Now you've got the focus of work and I've now got to readapt back down to lockdown life, which I was hoping to hit it all feet on the ground running, but literally on day one of the lockdown, I sank. Oh, right, really? Yeah, it, it just hit. I, I had loads of plans for the weekend and I had plans to like do a group chat thing online and do some gaming online and like get everyone in. And then it got to Saturday and I just, I just sank. I just had no motivation. I'm trying, I'm, I'm digging my way out of it at the moment and I'm still trying to get back to my daily walks and try to give, give some positivity. But I don't know what it is. I, I think it's possibly elements of the news that have come out. And also the, the obsession focus that everyone has on what's been happening in America with the election and seeing uh, that half of that country, almost almost half of that country, still supports a racist white supremacist. It has been, uh, and, and I totally agree, I've spent more, most of my time, definitely, when was it? So the election hit on... Tuesday, wasn't it, it last Tuesday? Seems like yeah. a long time ago, doesn't it? <laughs> it's, it's literally, it's just a week. And, and within that week, you know, there was all the drama of, of you know, the initial bounce that, that Trump got and then realising that, 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 that Biden wouldn't get, wouldn't get this kind of the blue wave that was expected and, and being muted in uh, previous to it. And then, of course, when on Saturday it was announced that he, he'd actually won and he was ahead for, for so long and he, and he, um, he won Pennsylvania. And now we've got the second part of the drama, which, to be honest, all the political pundits that I've been following and, and studying all knew it was coming. Everyone was aware that this was yeah. going to happen. And, of course, it did. And um, what's absolutely tragic 
let alone wherever your politics might may lay on it. It's that we have always looked, or the, the world has, has looked to the US for this sense of democracy and this and fair play. And when you've got, you know, countries which have clearly had election meddling or clearly are, are always on the verge of sort of dictatorship, that, you know, America had, had sort of the moral ground to come forward and say, you know, pull your socks up, this is not how the world does it. And, and you are yeah. being judged. And then they can't do that now. Or they certainly can't do that at this moment in time. Yeah, it's going to be a while before America can um, start making any claim to being like diplomatic and a country for other countries to look up to. Because there's decades of repair to be done now. Oh, absolutely. After just four years, there's decades of repair. And it's a, it's a fractured nation. And it's hard not to have that impact on how we feel over here. Because... You know, we're not in a great, great situation over in the UK, not as bad as America, but we're, we're, we're on that divide ourselves. Yes. So I, th I think some of that's been weighing on me as well. And it's made me just like feel despair at the world. But thankfully, movies helped me get through it. And I've watched a load of films over the past week. I've been doing quite a good slog through things, old favorites and new films. And we'll get to some of them later. But are you right? Because we're not here. You may have thought you were tuning into... Uh... Not the film file, but political file, which is a, not even an offshoot show. Uh, you are, in, in fact, here for the film file. And in this week's episode, we will be, of course, looking at the news. We will be doing our review of the movies that Andy missed with the classic The Goodbye Girl. We'll be telling you what we've seen since we spoke to you last on the great streaming services. And, of course, we've got all the gossip and neat things in a show we like to call The Film File. But first off, you've got to give Andy Meekin his due. Despite the way this weird old world seems to be playing out right now, Andy has still found time to bring you what we call the news. So let's start off with something completely predictable and which we basically have been just been waiting for this news. Death on the Nile and Free Guy have been moved. Inevitable and yet disappointing at the same time. Disney have, have announced that both films will be moved, although no date has been selected for either of them at this point in time. This now leaves Wonder Woman 84 as the only major tentpole movie left for the rest of the year. And that's expected to be moving. As we mentioned last week, there's discussions going on behind the scenes at the moment, and it's anticipated that sometime this week there'll be an announcement. Rumours out there are speculating and hinting from industry insiders that June 2021 is going to be the new date. Wow, we've got a busy summer next summer. And and, and talking of which, actually, I mean, uh, you, as probably the rest of the world, saw on the news that it looks like there's a, a possible vaccine on the horizon. Yes, a bit of light at the end of the tunnel there. It's yeah. uh, apparently around about 90% effective. And it won't be one that once you, take, once you have it once, you're done for life. It'll be one that they're anticipating, like with the flu jab, that because the evolution of viruses, you'll just have to have another one every now and then. But having one out there means that the most vulnerable people can be immunized, which means that we can return to a normality because those of us who don't have the jab, who are healthy and fit, will not be putting other people at risk yeah. if we catch it. That's the positivity that we need. Absolutely. There's a light out there. I mean, obviously, there's still, there's still more testing to be done, but it's very, very positive in that they reckon that next year, 
we should start seeing this getting rolled out. And, and the reason I bring that up is, uh, yeah, of course, it's fantastic news. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed it's all going to play out perfectly. And it isn't the start of the zombie apocalypse by taking the vaccine. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the, the positive I'm getting out of that is because, uh, not that I'm one to follow, but the stock market yesterday clearly uh, had a resurgence. And yep. there was a sense of, you know, business at least thinking there's a credible chance of a, of a comeback. And, and, I, and the reason I mention it is this is going to play in now into into release schedules because if uh, distributors and studios are now going to think like we all do, there's this sense of confidence happening again, then yes. that's going to apply to to release dates. So I, I guess in a long and roundabout way, I'm saying we just got to suck it up until we now know that there is going to be the opportunity to get back into into the theatres. On the subject of confidence in cinema, uh, Christopher Nolan has weighed in on his thoughts on the state of cinema. Please do tell, because I thought that was a fantastic segue. I'm still I'm still really <laughs> that, that amazing segue from my diatribe. It's great, isn't it? I can pull up, pull off a thread. This is what you get for doing a show for a year and a half, though, Andy. Now it's we've just got to flow to it yeah, now. It's a hive mind. It, He's, he's been highlighting the, the lessons that people learned from the studios with Tenet's release have been the wrong lessons, and they've not really paid attention to how Tenet actually performed. Okay. In, in his words, Warner Brothers released Tenet, and I'm thrilled that it made almost $350 million worldwide. But I'm worried that the studios are drawing the wrong conclusions from our release, that rather than looking at where the film has worked well and how that can provide them with much-needed revenue, they're looking at where it hasn't lived up to pre-COVID expectations, i.e. the US, and we'll start using that as an excuse to make, make exhibition take all the losses from the pandemic instead of getting in the game and adapting or rebuilding our business. Now, what that basically sums up to is that, as we've said, Tenet did well worldwide, and it's in the US where everything was locked down that it didn't perform, and the studios have been moving all their catalogue of films because of the US not being ready. Yeah and ignoring the fact that the rest of the world could get them that money. And if they had have just kept, if every studio had have just kept taking risks and releasing one film, one film, one film, it will keep a momentum going, which will grow the business and keep it alive. So by them all panicking and going, Tenet's not done as well as expected and not releasing things, they've learned the wrong lesson. Okay. Now that makes perfect sense. That, that's a really good, a really good argument that, to be honest, ourselves have fallen on the wrong side of the argument as well we, we, we've all been guilty of thinking it um yeah we, we did suggest as well earlier that stu yeah a few episodes ago that maybe the big hitters studios disney uh universal etc need to drop one big film a month and just take turns yeah. to keep things going but this is the first time that someone within the industry has actually turned around and just says look whoa 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 tenant did great and it's the maker of the film yeah. he's more than happy with how much it made and like we've said Warners are never going to be the next out the gate again because they've already took that risk once. Universal still have a couple of films left for this year, but they're only smaller level films. They've got uh, the crude sequel, The New Age, which is due on Thanksgiving in the US. Okay. Whether it gets a UK release is still uncertain. And they've also got the um, Bloomhouse horror freaky, well, horror comedy. Yeah, that's the Vince Vaughn project, isn't it? Vin Vince Vaughn as a serial killer who... It's basically Freaky Friday as a serial killer. Yeah, which is basically what it, it's basically what happened with um, Happy Death Day. Yeah, where they took like Groundhog Day and turned it into a horror. With this, Freaky Friday is a horror. They're the only two films really left on the slate. Which 
you know, it, it doesn't bode well for cinemas reopening in the UK for December. It's got to be the new year before things start to return to some kind of normality. I think we've just got to see it. I think, you know, we, we came to terms with this some time ago. We've just got to see it. The cinemas aren't dead. Well, they might yeah. not be well, but they're not dead. They're just hibernating. Yeah, we're, 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 hi- we're hibernating. We've, we've pulled the blankets over ourselves and we're just sleeping this off and hoping we can wake up to a better future. And I kind of think that's how the world's going to be now because with this expectation that there is going to be uh, an end date to some to some extent, then we can honestly sort of all go, yeah, we are just all in uh, all in hibernation now. Until then, let's just just get it over with. Yeah. Um. So whilst we're st- whilst we're all hibernating, the film world is still moving on, and there's still projects being greenlit. Newbie Rapace is set to lead Black Crab for Netflix. Okay, what do we know about that? Uh, it's adapted from a novel by Jörg Verborg. And the setting is a post-apocalyptic world plunged into an eternal winter. Six soldiers are sent on a dangerous mission to transport a package across the frozen sea that could end the war. And it's being directed by Adam Berg. Now, we've mentioned before that Netflix seems to gravitate towards genre. And this is yet another sci-fi genre setting, which hey, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for anything that Netflix are churning out at this point in time because they seem to be ticking the boxes quite nicely they do and she's also in a new place has also found her found her medium to a uh, to an extent with netflix i mean she did that uh she's done a couple of series there with them she, yeah she's she's a familiar face for them and she's a, a pretty solid actress yeah. so that's one on my radar one not quite on my radar but linking to netflix michael bay's been working with them in recent years he gave us six underground isn't it funny that he's found his his place for somebody who who knows whatever you think about Michael Bay and 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 I know you and I are in total agreement. His films do work better on a big screen. I think on on, yeah. on a smaller screen they're headache inducing. They're pretty much headache inducing on a big screen, but on a smaller screen that seems to, <laughs> to make it feel worse. But seems to be amplified. <laughs> he does he does seem to have found his his voice now on uh, on on Netflix. Well, he's closing a deal to helm a US remake of a 2005 Danish thriller called Ambulance. Should I know that? I don't feel like I do. From the title, I didn't know it. But when I read the description, I was like, that sounds familiar. Uh, It's a bank robbery, which doesn't go as planned, which results in hostages being taken and an ambulance hijacked. Right. Which now I want to seek out the 2005 Danish thriller Ambulance, Mm -hmm. rather than wait for Michael Bay to turn that into a bombastic, overblown, explosion-fueled mess of a film. But anyway, that's what he's working on at this point in time. Some Chris Pratt news, if you're a fan. He's starring in Saigon Bodyguards for Universal. I don't know much about this one. Uh, he's waiting to wrap uh, Jurassic World number 20 or something like that, is it now? Something like that. It's a... <laughs> and that's going to reunite him with uh, Joanne Anthony Russo, of course, from uh, uh, Avengers and Captain America fame. It's a remake of a Vietnamese film of the same name, which was directed by Ken Ochiai. Uh, and it, it's about two friends, one who's perfectly focused and the other one who's a bit of a goofball. Guess which one Chris Pratt's <laughs> going to be playing? Because he's teaming up with uh, Wu Jing for this, isn't he? Yes. And they try to find a corporate heir who got kidnapped right under their noses with several twists ensuing. It sounds like good Russo con- country. And yeah, I'm quite looking forward, forward to it just because the name's involved. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed the, the stuff they've been doing for uh, for Netflix as well. Uh, I thought the Chris Hemsworth vehicle was was perfectly good fun. 
Uh, and I would have seen it on the big screen. Someone who we've mentioned a few times over the past few weeks, and that's Ben Wheatley. Yeah, now Ben Wheatley, you see through uh, uh, a spanner into the works by uh, his name being linked to direct the Meg 2. Let's be honest, none of us saw that coming anywhere. (laughs) But um, if you remember a few weeks ago, we mentioned that between projects, he slipped off and made a secret film. Yes. Do we know what that secret film is? Which I'm assuming that's why we're talking about it. The details are finally out. And when it when we heard that there was a secret film, I speculated that it was going to be a return to like his kind of horror kind of roots and a really like a low budget, just a, a palate cleanse, as he called it. it. The film is going to be titled In the Earth, and it's familiar story settings for this point in time. It's a world seeking a cure to a pandemic virus. And the film sees a scientist and a park scout venture into the forest for an equipment run. The trip turns into a voyage through the hearts of darkness as the forest terrifyingly comes to life around them. Sounds very Ben Wheatley. More so than yep. him directing The Meg. Uh, and I meant yeah. guessing his Tomb Raider sequel is, is on hold at the moment as well. It's currently on hold, but it's expected to start up production on that sometime next year. Uh, with In the Earth, that's expected to get released in cinemas in 2021, so it's not going to any streaming service. Yet. They're holding out for a cinematic release. Joel Fry, Elora Torture, Hayley Squires, and Reese Shearsmith are all starting oh, in it. Cool cast. Hey, here's something you would have expected. One of the swarthiest British actors out there. Yeah, you're thinking, instantly you thought Colin Firth, you'd be right. He's starring in Zombie Tale, New York Will Eat You Alive. There's something you would not have had on your casting bingo cards, would it? He's, he's, he's such a bizarre like choice on things. But you look at what he did when he turned up in um, Kingsman. Yeah, which was fantastic. And he completely he completely broke all expectations of what you expect Colin Firth to be in. And the, stole the whole film. Now he's going to be in... This is a film which is an adaptation of the Zombie Brother um, online comic. I don't know that one. The story of it follows a man who lives in H-City which has a population that are slowly being turned to zombies by contaminated water. As the zombies keep eating each other and keep evolving, the young man seeks to escape. Uh, the screenplay's been written by Alex Rubens, with Dan, Mag- Dan Greger and Doug Mans doing revisions on it. And Todd Strauss-Schulson, who gave us Isn't It Romantic, is set to direct. I'm, I'm intrigued with this. I'd love to see Colin Firth in a zombie pandemic film. Yeah, the two things don't really initially feel as though they're going together. Uh, but you know, as you said, Colin Firth can really we we've typecast him rather than he's typecast himself. Yeah, I mean, he has done a wide variety of films through his career. He's done comedies, he's done dramas, he's done period settings, he's done action films. He is very diverse, and we kind of forget how diverse he is because we're just so used to him being Mr. Darcy. Well, we're on the subject of diverse. Liam Neeson is back for another <laughs> action thriller. Is he? That's yes. not like him to be in. What, what's he going to do in this one? I don't know. I think he's going to play a grumpier old man who's suddenly found himself in a, in a situation that he has to uh, uh, shoot his way out of. I'm just guessing. This, what do we know about this, it? Do you, have you heard of this one? I have, yes. This is Retribution, which is a remake of a Spanish film called El Desconocido. It's directed by one of my favourite names of a director. Not necessarily my favourite director, but one of my favourite names, Nimrod Antle. Yeah, now he was going to get onto big things. And then that Predator film that he did, which I liked, basically tanked and uh yeah he's, uh, he's and... Uh, kind of shooting movies now with Liam Neeson as an action hero <laughs> so what we know about well... this is 
and this time it's kind of a riff on speed from all that we all we know so far. I, I don't know the original Spanish film at all. Yeah, a, a, a businessman finds a bomb has been planted in his car and he must obey the instructions of an unknown assailant or the device will be detonated. It's kind of like a cross between Speed and Die Hard 3. I, it made me think of that Father Ted episode with the milk flow more than anything. <laughs> oh, what an episode. <laughs> what a great series. And in a similar can't this actor do something different for once news? There's going to be another Gerard Butler fallen film. Give me the give me the joke that you gave me <laughs> just before well, we started this, recording. Well, this one's Night Has Fallen, and the producer, Alan Siegel, has commented last year that they're looking at doing a fourth, fifth, and possibly a sixth film in the series that began with Olympus Has Fallen, and then rapidly went downhill from that low step. I can picture him churning out these films with a different fallen title over and over again until he's an OAP and it's oh nurse have fallen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know but, what you're yeah, probably right. Whether whether this film's gonna have a plot line which has a pandemic, which it probably will, and he's gonna go around stabbing a COVID virus in the face, because he probably will. Who knows? But it's Gerard Butler just doing Gerard Butler stuff. Remember when these people used to do acting roles? I know. And you know what? You know what corrupts everybody? Money. 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 Well, if only it corrupted me. I don't know. It's the fallen series. Is the falling series making money? <laughs> you know what? It must be because there there are places in the world where these films do exceedingly well, and you 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 don't often think about them. It's like when when people start discovering that China was was a huge market, and and of course the uh, uh, production chain started to to involve China as as part of, of its uh, uh, of its marketing. Now you know these these films do well in some obscure territories. Here's one that, that intrigued me, and I know you've got it on your list. Uh, Jeff Nichols is on to write and direct a spin-off for a sequel to a film that has been delayed and we've not seen yet. That'll be a quiet place too, won't it? It will, which I was so disappointed. We should have had that at the beginning of, of the year, if I remember correctly, yeah. in, in the midst of time. Then it was shunted to October and then it's been shunted to April next year, I believe, yeah. at the moment. I was really looking forward to it. Absolutely, I loved the first movie. The first film was brilliant. John Krasinski's approach to it was marvellous. Absolutely marvellous. And I was so looking forward to seeing how we could grow it. Well, it's growing even further, isn't it, with this spin-off? Yeah. That they're actually, it's world-building now that it's going to be other tales within this world setting. Uh, Jeff Nichols gave us Mud. I don't know if you ever caught No, that. I know of it. I didn't see it. Very, very engaging film. Well worth checking out. But the story idea for this spin-off for Quiet Place 2, came from John Krasinski himself, and then he just handed it over for someone else to work on. Because he, if he makes any films for The Quiet Place, it will be focusing on the characters that he created directly. But he's he's clearly open for this world-building idea. So, okay, Fantastic Beast 3 has now been given a release date of July 2020, but with some major changes to the cast. Yes. Um, after the very heavily publicised libel case against the scum, I mean the sun. Well, they're not going to be sponsoring us now, are they? Oh, what a shame. As as someone, as a scouser, I'm so disappointed to not like the sun. I will not hide any of my disdain for that rag. Uh, Johnny Depp lost his libel case and Warner Brothers asked him to resign from his position as Grindelwald in the Fantastic Beasts series. Now we had a little chat before this started, and um, we're not going to we're not going to say anything that's not been said before. Uh, neither are we going to say anything that we consider to be controversial, and we're no way, in any form, 
suggesting that uh, uh, that spousal abuse is is at all acceptable. We are not saying that in or condoning violence against uh, women or men in any way. However, what we are going to say is that the court case hasn't proved one way or another that Johnny Depp uh, actually is a wife beater. What the story is, well, Andy, you you you've been a bit more erudite than I am right now. What the story is is that the son used the headlines "wife beater Depp" and they referred to him as "wife beater Depp." And because nothing had ever been taken to court or proven, and because there was domestic abuse coming the other way from Amber Heard towards Depp, allegedly, according to all the stories, Depp said the son can't get away with calling me a wife beater. So he took them to court. Sadly, the ruling was that whilst it can't be proved one way or the other, eh, it's not really liable. So they let the son get away with it. To which the son, within the next 24 hours, referred to the case, referring to him as wife beater Depp constantly. Yeah. Just to really like poke, poke the bear while he's down. And it's saddening because throughout that whole court case, you heard the opposing viewpoints of the abuse that Amber Heard allegedly inflicted on Depp. And yet, Depp has been asked to resign. Whilst at the meantime, Amber Heard is going to be appearing in the reshoots for that already completed movie that we're so looking forward to. <laughs> and also, she's going to be in Aquaman 2. It appears that Warner Brothers or hate and HBO don't feel the need to ask her to get lost too. I, I guess that abuse in a relationship is only abuse when it goes one way. I, I'm, I'm, I'm totally in agreement. I don't want to. I, I don't want to stoke, stoke the fire on, on abuse is not acceptable on, on any level, and that's something that we are saying. But abuse yeah. does go both ways. It's it angers me that Depp has been asked to step down while she's being kept on. Yeah. Um, um, until we get to the truth of how far the abuse went on either side, no one should be pointing fingers. So uh, yeah, the good news is that Depp will get his full pay for the film. Yeah. He had filmed one scene before it was shut, the production was shut down, and it's part of the contract that he gets paid anyway. So he will get his full pay. But that's, him, that's his ties with Warner Brothers completely severed. Yeah. So I, I can't help but feel that the son have kind of gotten away with this. And this is why I hate that rag of the paper. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, there's also, there's a, still another Depp versus Heard case going on in the US. I can't remember exactly where in the US, but he's took her to court for the libel itself. And that one's still ongoing. If that one rules in Depp's favour, that's not going to bode well for Heard. No. So uh, the film is about to start shooting in the UK with director David Yates. Uh, Steve Close was responsible for the script uh, this time after uh, J.K. Rowling. The first couple of movies, which is probably the best thing because I, I thought they adhered too much to, uh, they didn't feel very movie-like. They felt like somebody writing a screenplay for the first time, which I think was pretty much pretty much it. Eddie Raymond's returning, as is Jude Law. Uh, as to what's going to happen to the role of uh, uh, Percival Graves, uh, originally, yeah. originally the character started as Colin Farrell. Yeah, uh, Farrell's going to be busy on the Batman's, so we'll wait and see whether he's going to come up and come back to the role. It's not a franchise that I'm particularly enamoured with. No, I thought it was very weak, very weak. Uh, as most prequels, it felt unnecessary. And to round off with another um, unnecessary sequel, have you heard about Bloodshot? Yeah, might be getting. Who would have thought we'd have been talking about a Bloodshot sequel anytime soon? There was one that. Uh, 
I had no intention of wanting to see really. I guess we should see everything, but um, it went straight to VOD at the beginning of the uh, pandemic and surprisingly uh, did well enough to warrant the sequel. Yeah, um, it, it comes from the publisher Valiant Comics, who clearly wanted to set up their own little world building universe of, of their comic characters. Their own universe now. They want a bit of that superhero pie. But it, the first film only cost about $45 million to make, right. which meant that by the end of its box office short run, it had taken $37 million before lockdowns happened worldwide. But a really strong focus on video and demand had taken it into profit. So clearly, Vin Diesel and the guys are getting back together to uh, flesh out ideas for where to take it from now. If they keep the budget as low again, you know what? It could work. And it could just be a little entertaining diversion. I can't say that the world's holding its breath for it, but (laughs) I guess we're going to see a Bloodshot sequel after all. Even though I pretty much doubt we're never going to get to see that Valiant extended universe. Which will be a shame. (laughs) And that's it for the news. So, if you're enjoying the film file and clearly why not because uh, what else can you do at this moment in time you can't go to the cinema you may as well live it through us because we're your we're your kind of celestial gateway to all things film but if you are a fan uh, and you've not subscribed then please hit that subscription button and uh, helps build up our ratings and helps us uh, move forward and of course please leave a review if you're enjoying the show and why aren't you it's that simple. And if you're not enjoying the show, please don't leave a review. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so via uh, Twitter at Filmfile UK. And you can also find us on Instagram. Filmfile UK again. Okay, so if you are a loyal fan of the Filmfile, you'll know that over the uh, course of this year, I have been tasked with giving Andy uh, a certain year or suggesting a certain film that he may for whatever reason, who knows, have missed in the cinema or even on home viewing, that is an absolute classic or an Oscar winner. And now we've been delving into various years and uh, we skipped last week to talk about the sad death of uh, Sean Connery, but this year we are back with 1977 and a film that Andy missed, The Goodbye Girl. An American romantic comedy drama produced by Ray Stark and directed by Herbert Ross starred Richard Dreyfuss, Marsha Mason, Quinn Cummings, and Paul Benedict. Say hello to the goodbye girl. Make it fast. Hi, I, I, I think there's been some kind of mistake. I sublet this apartment from this friend of mine. Technically, that apartment belongs to me. Now, do I come up there now? We discuss this amicably? Or do I storm the place in the morning? Five minutes. The only practical solution is that we share the apartment. I'll bet. You win. Get your bags. You get the small bedroom. <sighs> We're in trouble, right? Say hello to Richard Dreyfuss. My kingdom for the horse! Say hello to Marsha Mason. An actor. Say hello to Quinn Cummings. I think he's kind of cute. He reminds me of a dog that nobody wants. Say hello to Neil Simon's tender, funny love story. If you don't let go of me, I am going to punch your other eye out! More than neighbors. You know it's five to six. Less than lovers mismatched roommates living alone together. Don't you ever do that again. Your lips may say no, no, but there's yes, yes in your eyes. Richard Dreyfuss and Marsha Mason in Neil Simon's first new comedy since Murder by Death say hello to the goodbye girl. (laughs) 
So based on an original screenplay by Broadway master Neil Simon, it centers on an odd trio, a struggling actor played by Richard Dreyfuss, who has sublet a Manhattan apartment from a friend. The current occupant, however, is his friend's ex-girlfriend, who's just been abandoned, played by Marsha Mason and her precocious young daughter. Richard Dreyfuss won Best Actor at the Academy Awards for his performance as Elliot Garfield, and at that time, he became the youngest man to win an Oscar for Best Actor. The film became the first romantic comedy to earn $100 million at the box office. But that doesn't matter. What does matter? is Andy. What did you think to The Goodbye Girl? Okay, five minutes into the film, I was seriously wondering what on earth I'd let myself in for. <laughs> you were thinking The Precocious Child. How are you going to make it past that? Oh, 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 The Precocious Child. I'll get to that in a minute. Ten minutes in, I was really struggling, and I was close to switching it off and giving it up. But I'm, I'm a person of models, and I will stick something through to the end. I've never stopped a film and not giving it a chance. And I'm glad I stuck around, simply because once Richard Dreyfus arrives on the screen, it suddenly becomes engaging, but only when he's on screen. Yeah, I'll agree entirely with everything that you're saying. This is one of those films with such manufactured and laboured dialogue that it grates on you. And it's one of those films in which, and here's where you get to the precocious child, a child actor, and I use the term actor in the loosest sense of the word, is playing a 10-year-old with the mind of a witty 37-year-old. And I just wanted to smash my TV up every time that she <laughs> spoke spoke some dialogue that no way would any 10-year-old ever come out with. It was garbage, garbage exchanges until Dreyfus is on screen. And then his snap, his wit, his pizzazz, and his pure energy lifts the film from what would have been a one out of five, one star out of five film for me. And it lifts it to somewhere around a three out of five. I found myself completely captivated by him, by his struggles as an actor, his worries about the role that he was getting played and, and his portrayal of the his rather fey <laughs> interpretation of Richard III. When he starts delivering part of that role, I was in stitches. And that alone was enough to carry me for the rest of the very laboured and very unoriginal feeling film. I, I, I mean, I've got to, I've got to agree with everything that you said. It's not a film that I, I've got much love for. Uh, I think Marsha Mason's very good in a, in a sort of underwritten hysterical role. But it is Richard Dreyfuss' show. These every minute that he's on screen, it, it's an absolute delight. So as again, the plot is, he's a, uh, an actor who um, is kind of neurotic, but he's, he's basically a nice guy. And, yeah. Uh, he just shows up in the middle of the night expecting to move into this apartment and therefore discovers that, that the character of Paula is living there and and is equally as neurotic. Uh, and, and of course, it starts out as every kind of romantic comedy is. They, they kind of bite each other, but grow to like each other as it goes through. It's a really simple story. Um, it won a lot, a lot of plaudits, this, mainly because... And Neil Simon in, in, in England doesn't carry the weight that he does in the US. He's, he's the patron saint of, of Broadway. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm in total agreement with you. It was, uh, it, it's nothing without, without uh, Dreyfus. And as, as we said, he won, he, he won the best actor for it. Interesting that Robert De Niro was uh, uh, up to star in it and Mike Nichols was set to direct. And I think Mike Nichols could have done more with it because he, he has he has a trapping for comedy that I don't think Herbert Ross 
does. I think Herbert Ross has attempted to be very overblown. And, yeah. um, but they agreed quite early on that, that De Niro wasn't right. So the, the, the choice to bring in uh, Dreyfus was, was absolutely the best choice. You can tell from the dialogue exchanges that Neil Simon is a Broadway script screenwriter. It felt like a stage play at times. It felt like the kind of exchanges of dialogue to like demonstrate to an audience who were sat there watching you rather than a natural flow that you kind of expect to get in a film. And that's one of the things that kind of like felt a bit stodgy around the edges. Like you say, Herbert Ross maybe made it a bit too melodramatic, maybe went in a slightly different direction than what it could have gone. I mean, he is the guy who gave us films like Steel Magnolias, so I should have kind of expected it. Yeah, yeah. Not a terrible film. Despite the first 10 minutes making me think, oh my, I'm going to hate every minute of this. I didn't. I enjoyed quite a lot. I just really couldn't get past that child actor. I do think that uh, um, the, the the film, and, and this is clearly what what Neil Simon's great at, is, is snappy one-liners. Just all sort of fall flat in this. They, uh, they they don't seem to hit in the way that he's that, that they've done in in other films. It, it's just kind of modestly okay. Uh, I think Marsha Mason, while she gives a, a good performance, the character's just written in such a way that she was. Not even sympathetic, and and she was quite irritating for a lot of it. And I felt I felt sorry for her doing the best that she could with a with a kind of a prickly character that that, that wasn't particularly charming. Yeah. Um, but again, this is this is all about Dreyfus, and you know he was he was running on full at that particular point. He'd come off the back of Jaws, he'd come off the back of Close Encounters, and it uh, it feels like it was written for him. He well and truly deserved the. Oscar that he got for it. I mean, out of the Oscars that it was nominated for, actress in leading role, actress in a supporting role, best picture, writing, and then actor in leading role. The only one it won was for Dreyfus. And definitely deserved because anyone who can turn that film around and make me more engaged with has done their job well. Did you know that there have been several remakes of it? Have there? There has. There has been a Broadway musical version which initially starred uh, Martin Short and, Ber- and the great Bernadette Peters. There was a 2004 remake, and I think it was for TV with Jeff Daniels in the lead role, uh, Patricia Heaton. Uh, there was also a, a, a TV pilot based on it, that Goodbye Doesn't Mean Forever, uh, which was starred Karen Valentine and Matthew Lembeck, uh, directed by the great James Burroughs. Uh, and then there was an unaired pilot which starred Joe Beth Williams. And it, it kind of... I think it sort of found its its feet again back on Broadway, and yeah. uh, as a, as a musical version. But uh, it's, it's 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 pretty it's pretty good to remember that the best film that won that year, up against some some tough films. This is the year that Star Wars came out. Woody Allen's Annie Hall was the best film winner that year. Okay, so I've had to uh, I've had to make you endure the goodbye, girl. I'm going to give you something else. Uh, let's look at 1983, and I think one of the great all-time war films. Uh, and I know you'll enjoy this. I'll be incredibly surprised if you don't. And that's uh, Wolfgang Peterson's Das Boot. Enjoy that, Andy. You, there are no precocious kids to worry about during the <laughs> making of that film. I should think not. <laughs> okay, because we've not had a chance to go into the cinema... Andy and I have been uh, searching across the uh, streaming platforms to bring you a couple of reviews for films that we've had uh, a chance to watch in a new segment we call 
films that are streaming that we've had a chance to watch. It's very snappy, that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's a work in progress. Okay, Andy, what have you caught on uh, on, on the streaming uh, streaming platforms over the last week? So I've got two films to talk about today. The first of which is a adaptation of a HP Lovecraft story. So that instantly grabs my attention. And it stars Nick Cage. So that instantly grabs my attention. And that's Colour Out of Space that you can find on Amazon at this point in time. And then everything just blew up. Big flash, like a pink light. Or actually, I don't even know what colour it was. It wasn't like any colour I'd ever seen before. It looks like a meteorite. I mean, it's radioactive. I mean, it's from space, right? Meteorites are generally no more dangerous than ordinary rocks. How can something that big just disappear? Did you plant those? No. Ward, you come here for a sec. Oh, God. What are you doing? Shh. It's talking to me. Who's talking to you? Now, Lovecraft on film can be patchy at the best of times, but Colour Out of Space is one of his tales that's managed to be successfully adapted a few times over the years. Yeah, it has. This is not, not the first time it's been out. No. Um, in this new adaptation of the tale, uh, the cosmic horror is brought to vivid and very colourful life by Richard Stanley. Um, I don't know if you remember, he was the guy who ripped off 2000 AD way back in 1990 for the film Hardware. I did. Uh, he got kicked off the set of his adaptation of The Island of Dr. Moreau and got replaced yep. on that. However, interesting documentary you can find where he managed to stick around on set in disguise as one of the creatures. After Dr. Moreau, I don't know whether he ended up in director prison. Um, he just kind of fell off the radar. He sort of fell off the radar. I used to know his, his girlfriend who was a filmmaker. We were talking about a project some years back. But at that point, he was there. He would have been scripting Dr. Moreau. Um, well, with this film, this is his first of a hopeful trilogy of Lovecraft, Lovecraft adaptations. And we get Nick Cage playing Nathan Gardner, a farmer and the father of the Gardner family. And a strange meteor hits their property. And things start to get a bit strange for the family as the land and crops begin to change around them. And pretty soon, they begin to be affected too. This is a solid cosmic horror Lovecraftian film. I loved it from start to finish. Cage doesn't quite go full cage, which is probably for the best because he is supposed to start off as quite serious. So it kind of works that he does go slightly over the edge and a bit over the top towards the end, but not full on cage. And for people who like cosmic, creepy, surreal horror, there's a lot to love in here. And there's a lot of gruesome effects as well. Okay, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, of body horror. Yeah, so I'm assuming this film ain't for me. <laughs> um, yeah, you might struggle on a couple of moments that are truly, genuinely chilling and terrifying. Uh, there's, there's, I, I'm not going to spoil what moments they are, but there are involvements that can be drawn parallels to things like the thing and how the body morphs and how things distort and twist and change shape. It taps well into the tones and themes of Lovecraft's writing. And it brings it beautifully up to date in a modern day setting. And if this is what Stanley has been working on ever since, you know, his Doc Moreau things, and he's been looking at getting the Lovecraft things coming to life, I hope to see 
what he does with the next two films. He's clearly got a love for Lovecraft. And if he can get Nick Cage shoehorned into every one of them, hell, I'm there. Okay, my film is on Netflix at the moment. It's a BBC co-production. And it's the ghost story and psychological horror film, His House. So uh, Bol and Rail are refugees from South Sudan. They arrive in England. They're granted a, a house, uh, one which they're told because of laws and regulations, they can't leave under any circumstances. But as they begin and try to adapt to their new life in the UK, they find that the house is home to some angry spirits. And they soon, the idea of leaving the house is the least of their worries. So this has been mentioned a lot uh, over the last few weeks. I've seen many, many uh, reviews for it. And uh, all of them, all of them positive. Now, before I get into uh, into the film itself, which I liked, uh, I liked a great deal. Uh, I liked what, uh, that it tackled, the way that good horror movies should. It tackled a, a pretty much a zeitgeist of, 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 uh, of politics and, and world culture and created yeah. it into a horror film. I think all good horror films work best when they hold up a mirror to society. And this does this in, a, in a, an incredible way. And what I mean by that is when you look at the 50s, for instance, you had movies like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which were about the lack of identity down to uh, um, due to the McCarthyism. McCarthyism, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and in the 70s, um, the way that the uh, 70s and 80s with, with Reaganism affecting, you know, and creating the slasher and the idea of, the, of, a, of a villain that just cannot be stopped in, with, with slasher movies. I think this, this works really good. To some extent, The Craft Legacy touches upon similar uh, modern idioms as well. But uh, why this works is, it, let alone the, the story of, of it being a, uh, a ghost story, it works because uh, the, the, the real horror is what happens to these poor people who, uh, through no fault of their own, have had to flee the, the country that they grew up in and start a new life in a country that doesn't really want them and in a, and a government and a, and a system that doesn't really want them. And that alone is fairly horrific. And, and the idea of bringing a ghost story into this, which is about the sins of, of your past as well, gives it ample weight. And because of that, I think it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderfully successful film. Is it a great horror film? No, it's effective. It's got more going on than one would expect in a BBC production. It, it is definitely creepy and definitely has some interesting effects. Uh, and something that's usually missing in that is, is uh, the very suggestive makeup and horror makeup, which if you think about most kind of BBC horror, it's usually some sound effects uh, and some shutting doors off screen. But it, it does have a tendency to stray into the kind of horror films. Uh, I'm thinking of stuff like The Conjuring, where you get to actually see and witness um, the, the horror that's around these characters. And they're fantastically played, the, these actors. So Dirisu and Wumni Masaku, who you'll recognize uh, doing a fantastic turn in uh, Lovecraft Country. I never thought she was a, a, a British actress due to, due to her role in that. So it's, it's, a, it's a great film. It's definitely one to watch. However, my argument against this is that while it is a good, good British film and a good horror film, it's this sense that because it has something to say, it suddenly elevates it uh, into to something. Um, do you know where I'm going with this, Andy? You, you, were, you were to read film reviews in some of the, the more upper echelon newspapers. They have a tendency to be all over these films and, and, 
at the end of the day, it is just an effective ghost story. There's a certain snobbery That's the around, term I was looking for. around the horror industry when it comes to critics. Critics seem to be afraid of actually just saying, wow, this is a good horror. Wow, this is just a scary thrill. And, you know, we've said, you've said that horror always tackles some kind of social commentary. It should or political always commentary. be reflective of the, 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 so the world that we live in. It's nothing new that they do them. But whenever it's something that is a bit more blatant and front and centre in the film, they latch onto it. And it's no longer a horror. It's a psychological thriller or it's a, it's a present day drama with thriller edges. Yeah. They are afraid of using the word horror and afraid of just actually accepting something as being a horror. And like you're hinting towards the fact that they kind of overblow them and make them out to be something more than what they actually are. Yeah. Where sometimes they are just horrors. And it's no, there's nothing wrong with a horror just being a horror. It is. Halloween, Halloween is a horror. And there's always been a horror. And it's a great horror. The snobbery needs to stop within the criticisms. Yeah. Now, as I said, this is a great British horror film. Uh, uh, it's one of the most interesting, an interesting British horror film. It's populated by incredibly diverse and well-drawn characters. And the horror elements are exactly what you want from a horror film. Uh, his house, well worth seeing. I've got already got that shortlisted on my Netflix account, ready to you watch. Should, you'll enjoy it. I'd be I'm got it lined up for this week. So from horror to something which I completely didn't expect myself to watch, and that's the new SpongeBob movie, SpongeBob <laughs> on the Run. When his best friend goes missing, only one hero has what it takes to save the day. Commitment. Nope. Wherewithal? Mm-mm. Bravery? No. Valor? Rick nope. heroism? It never ends. On August 14th. All right, Gary, we're coming for ya! You can say hello. Hello? Oh, stupid prank caller. To adventure. Whoa. There they are! What's it? What are you doing? The SpongeBob movie. Sponge on the run. Now, before you start, Andy, SpongeBob is one of those, um, those cultural icons that has completely passed me by. Oh, you're not the only one. I've never latched onto SpongeBob at all. It's completely passed me by. Even as others in my age bracket found casual amusements in it, I was more of a Powerpuff scale fan. And that was what I latched onto, which came out about the same time. But I am aware of the character. I'm aware of his undersea surreal, surreal world with his buddies Patrick, Sandy, Squidward and Plankton. I've never seen more than three or four episodes of the TV series. And I've not seen the first two movies. But again, I'm aware of them. And I've got no idea what possessed me to switch this on and watch it. <laughs> it was just, it was one of them where you're flicking through the channels, on flicking through all the options on Netflix, and then it suddenly pops up and it's like, this was supposed to come out of the cinemas about five months ago. Oh yeah, Netflix bought it, we reported on it. Oh, let's give it a shot, let's see what it's like. And so I went in. And you know what? I'm kind of glad I did. Because I found oh, myself... I was wondering where you were going with this. Oh man, I was pleasantly chuckling for a fair chunk of the film. The wacky comic approach was just what I needed right now. Uh, the story, for those who <laughs> know SpongeBob, and for those who don't, this is going to mean nothing. Gary the Snail is snail-napped by Poseidon, and SpongeBob and Patrick set off to rescue him. Along the way, they get into a few bizarre scrapes, including appearing in an old Wild West town plagued by ghosts. And with the help of a tumbleweed called Sage, which is played hilariously by Keanu Reeves, they face danger without, well, any knowledge of how much danger they're in. And when I say played hilariously by Keanu Reeves, he's not just providing the voice. Keanu Reeves is a tumbleweed. Okay. And he, he rolls up and just chats to them every now and then. And it, 
he's brilliant throughout it. It is absolutely... Having watched this, I now want to watch the other SpongeBob movies to see if they're as bonkers as this one was, because it tapped right into a good, funny... Well, it basically tapped into my funny bone. Fantastic. And, yeah, it's a good family film, and it's a good feel-good movie, and it's got positive lessons to be learned throughout it. The voice cast are fantastic throughout it. And... I want to explore the history of SpongeBob. That's how much it affected me. Maybe this is just an effect of lockdown getting to me already, but I've got a lot of love now for SpongeBob. Well, there's something I never thought I'd hear you say. <laughs> so yeah, it's, you can catch SpongeBob, uh, Sponge on the Run, on Netflix right now. Other things on streaming networks over this coming week to keep an eye out for. Uh, now TV this next weekend has two films worth checking out. One which I've not seen but I wanted to see called The Hunt. And one which I've seen and can't wait to watch again, Jojo Rabbit. Which I loved. As you know, I love Jojo Rabbit. And I, I too, am looking forward to seeing The Hunt. Um, and on Netflix this week, The Life Ahead, which has Sophia Loren in a drama about a Holocaust survivor who runs a daycare centre and befriends a bitter street kid when she takes him under a wing after he robs her. Fantastic. Great to see Sophia Loren back on screen. So they're two to look out for this coming week. Before we go, and we're about to go, we always use this opportunity to mention some of the things that we've enjoyed, read, watched, seen uh, over the last uh, over the last week in an item we call our neat thing. Andy, what is your neat thing for the week? My neat thing this week is the return of His Dark Materials to BBC TV. Would I like it? You know me, Andy. Would I like His Dark Materials? I missed uh, season one. I think you will. I think it's worth exploring through. Um, based Adapted from the books by Philip Pullman. The, the film The Golden Compass was kind of adapted from the first book, but missed a huge chunk of it. The TV series that HBO and BBC have been working in unison with is a lot closer to the books completely closer to the books and now we're on to season two which is adapting the subtle knife which was the second book and this is where it all gets really juicy and engaging the whole slipping between other worlds is a big key plaything, and the battle between the religion the church and the actual demons and angels is starting to come up his dark materials i think you will absolutely engage with it the cast are great in it it's well cast through it looks sumptuous I mean, you know, you've mentioned that um, his house has a different feel to a BBC production. With his dark materials, you can tell that BBC worked with HBO on this one right. because it's got a it's got a much more lavish feel to it. And I can't wait to see how this season plays out. And then I'll have to wait about another twelve to eighteen months before season three finally concludes the story. It's a great adaptation of a great book. Definitely recommended. Excellent. Okay, so my neat thing, odd one, this is a very, very personal neat thing. So uh, over the weekend, uh, I had a birthday, and uh, not only the, I had a birthday, but the good news was that uh, we heard the results of the presidential election, probably the best president I had. However, my good lady, her indoors, uh, presented with me because we were supposed to be doing things uh, before lockdown. Um, shut that down as, a, as, a, as an idea. We we're going to go out for dinner, going out somewhere to stay uh, for the weekend. But of course, it was going to be home based. But my good lady, being the kind person that she is, she reached out to uh, my friends and surprised me in the morning with a, a video that she created that had birthday greetings uh, from my uh, nearest and dearest friends, including your good self. <laughs> Andy Meekin, which was a, a total surprise. It was a lovely, lovely little treat. 
brought a tear to my eye. I'm not I'm not one to to uh, to well up, um, but it was yourself and Scott who was a contributor to this program, uh, made an appearance, and and to all those friends who who, who took the time to to uh, to appear. Thank you very much. It really meant an awful lot, and it's difficult. Have you? When was your birthday? Was your birthday in lockdown, Andy? Mine was just before lockdown, uh, early March, because I got to have my uh, birthday weekend down in London. Yes, of course, I remember. Uh, yeah, it's it's for anybody who's who's uh, clearly not just me who's who's had to go through lockdown, and just when you thought it was all over, and then it, it comes back like the unwanted sequel that it is. It, it changed all our plans, and we only had a few days to sort of um, come up with something different. So we were talking about going to a restaurant or and talking about potentially going away for the evening and all those plans folded uh, and it was disappointing you know there's a lot i wanted to do people i wanted to see but it, would have, it was a great idea and it was good to see so many people famous as well as the not so famous and uh, and some infamous in there as well uh, <laughs> it, was, it was fantastic so my neat thing was my birthday surprise of my nearest and dearest friends wishing me a happy birthday and nothing about ego in that at all i was genuinely genuinely touched so thank you to all of you what a great way to spend your 21st birthday eh? hey, what a way yeah i can't wait for, <laughs> for many more to come um that's it for this week thank you for joining us uh, we do this show because we enjoy it and we do it for you dear listeners and uh, any feedback you've got please get in touch with them we mentioned it earlier where to do that and uh, we suggest again Please subscribe. So, Andy, back to uh, back to streaming for you. I've got I've got I've got a load of things lined up on the streaming services to watch over this next coming week. I've looked at the um, Letterbox profile today and realised that I've watched over four hundred films this year. Uh, and just before we go, do you want to just give a call out to your fantastic uh, Twitter event that you hold every Sunday? Uh, yep. So, movie talk on Sunday, every Sunday night at eight pm on Twitter. You just have to search for hashtag MTOS to get involved and follow the questions as one goes out every 10 minutes. This coming week's topic is going to be one contributed by one of our regular participators. And it's a topic that I was never going to do a topic on, and it's sports films. Wow. Um, <laughs> those questions will get posted on the website within the next 24 hours, and then we'll be talking around them on this coming Sunday. I'm glad when other people get involved. And submit questions because there's loads of topics that i could probably bash some questions out for but i don't have enough knowledge or interest in them yet when it comes to answering the questions on them i find oh actually i do quite like those kind of films so it gives other people a chance to get some questions out there that i can play along on so i'm looking forward to this week's one excellent i'll be joining in this week and uh, i thought last week's was absolutely fantastic about the great sir sean connery Yes, that was uh, another one submitted by one of the regular contributors who um, literally on the day of the announcement of Sean Connery's passing, he said, have you thought about doing a tribute one for him? I was like, well, I did have an idea for one. And he sent me over the questions. And it was like, cool, tidy them up, get them out. And it was a really good chat around it. A lot of love being shown for um, Connery's films, including Zardoz. Yay. <laughs> it's not just me and you. It's not just me and you. There's, there's more people out there who like Zardoz. There's at least five of us. <laughs> so that's it. Goodbye. And despite the fact that you're one large pain in the arse, last night was the best thing that ever happened to me. Go on.